الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد عن عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لو أنكم توكلون على الله حق توكله لرزقكم كما يرزق الطير تغدو خماصا وتروح بطانا رواه الإمام أحمد والترمذي والنسائي وابن ماجه وابن حبان في صحيحه والحاكم وقال الترمذي حسن صحيح So brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah, we're continuing with these durus on Saturday nights on the ahadith. Uh, inshallah, as we mentioned last week, uh, we're taking a slight uh, detour, but keeping the topic you know, related. Uh, Sheikh Tamim has been covering for the past several weeks um, the Arba'een of Imam Nawawi. And in his absence, uh, inshallah, he's still tending to some family member that is, that is ill, and we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes things easy and grant complete uh, recovery and, and cure. Um, in the meantime, we want to co- cover a topic that's related without also taking away from the main topic that will be, inshallah, resumed once Shaykh Tamim, inshallah, is able to resume uh, teaching once again, inshallah. So we're covering the hadith, which are the addendum to the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi, or actually the 42 hadith of Imam Nawawi. The the 50 hadith that were compiled by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, the 42 from Imam Nawawi, plus the eight he had added in the book Al-Jami' al-Ulumi wal-Hikam. So last week we covered the last hadith in the book. Inshallah, today we'll cover the one before that. So this is hadith number 49. And the topic for today, in the, the, like we mentioned, the original thesis behind the original work of this, of, of this compilation the work of Abu Amr ibn Salah, and then built upon by Imam Nawawi, and then built upon by Ibn Rajab, rahimahumullah, is those ahadith that are central, right? Those hadith that are pivotal, those hadith that combine within it the maxims of Islam, right? So from, from amongst those hadith, and this is the, like I said, the second to last hadith in the book, Jami' al-Ulumi wal-Hikam, is a topic that's being touched upon, which is a very important and very essential topic for Muslims, for believers, to be able to understand. And everyone knows it, and everyone understands it and its importance, and yet at the same time, in some ways, very few people actually really know and understand its reality. Because it's a matter that has a lot of sensitivities tied into it and a lot of subtleties tied to it. So inshallah, we'll try our best to be able to cover the entire topic holistically. Ibn Rajab, mashallah, does an incredible job, as, as usual, of breaking down this hadith into parts and explaining different aspects of it to give us a clear picture. So inshallah, we have, in the time that we have, we'll try our best to cover whatever we can cover. But if anyone has any questions, by all means, please do ask. Uh, or you can even email your questions in onto the Noor Institute website, and inshallah, you know, someone will, will, will get to them. So if anybody is left wanting to know more about this topic, you know, by all means, inshallah, we can follow up afterwards as well. With that, we'll start, inshallah, that this hadith is narrated by Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, And it's narrated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, if only all of you could have the reliance upon Allah 
the due right that is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we have when we rely upon him then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would sustain you just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sustains the birds if we trusted in Allah with the due right like the, the level to which we should trust in Allah if we had that level of trust in Allah then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would sustain us like he sustains the birds how is that taghdu khimasan wa taruhu bitanan that they leave in the morning with an empty stomach and they come home with a full stomach. Before we explain the hadith, this hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmad, Imam Dirmidhi, Imam Nasai, Ibn Majah, Ibn Hibban in his Sahih, as well as Hakim. And Imam Tirmidhi grades the hadith as being Hassan Sahih. Along with that, Hakim and Bayhaqi also, or sorry, Hakim and Ibn Hibban also say that the hadith is Sahih. And an important point to note that Ibn Rajab brings out, and it's a little bit of a side point which I think is worth uh, uh, taking a lesson in. He has a small discussion and he says, هذا الحديث خرجه هؤلاء كلهم من رواية عبد الله ابن هبيرة سمع أبا تميم الجيشاني سمع عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه يحدثه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأبو تميم وعبد الله ابن هبيرة خرج لهما مسلم ووثقهما غير واحد وأبو تميم ولد ولد في حياة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهاجر إلى المدينة في زمن عمر رضي الله عنه. ابن رجب has a nice little small benefit which I think for us which are introductory students in in the field of hadith and trying to get a familiarity with the sciences of hadith on some level. He mentions an important point here and he explains that this whole hadith and all its narrations are predicated and they revolve around two narrators. One is Abdullah ibn Hubayra and the other one is Abu Tamim al-Jayshani. These are the two main narrators of this hadith and everyone that narrates the hadith it ultimately goes through this chain, ultimately going back to Umar radiallahu anh. And then he mentions both of these narrators, they're narrators that Imam Muslim narrates for. Meaning they're narrators who are the strength of being narrated from in Sahih Muslim. But this hadith is not narrated in Sahih Muslim. There's a small thing that we should kind of take in consideration here, and alhamdulillah we may know about it, but it's worth reminding ourselves, is not every Sahih hadith is found in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And nor was it the goal or objective of Imam Bukhari or Imam Muslim or any other other hadith collectors, the muhaddithun that came after them, who claimed to narrate a book that is all Sahih Hadith, no one made the claim that all the books, all the Sahih Hadith in existence are within the book. And this is a very prime example of that, that this is narrated from people that are of that caliber, that Imam Muslim would narrate from them in their book, in his book. And not only that, all these Imams narrated from him, and three great Imams, Imam Tirmidhi, Imam Hakim, Imam Tirmidhi, the, the chief student of Imam Bukhari. The foremost student of Imam Bukhari was Imam Tirmidhi, who has his own hadith collection. He says it's Sahih, along with Ibn Hibban and Hakim. So this is a Sahih hadith, but it's not found in Bukhari nor in Muslim. So this is one little side point to note, that yes, there are many hadith that exist that are Sahih. Sometimes the hadith can even be more Sahih than what's found in Bukhari and Muslim. That's possible, and it does happen. Why? Because... There was an objective and purpose behind why Imam Bukhari or why Imam Muslim narrated what they narrated in their books. And that purpose was not to, enc- was not to encompass every hadith that ever was, was narrated on that level. 
Why? Because if that was the case, the books are already, you know, voluminous books. Imagine if they tried to add everything inside of it, it would have been too much to handle. So this is a little side point to start off with. Now, this hadith, it highlights the principle. Imam Ibn Rajab explains, it highlights the principle of what is tawakkul. Tawakkul is the reliance upon Allah. Very simple translation, it is the reliance we have upon Allah. And it is us to, for us to understand, first and foremost, this hadith highlights one important point. That from amongst all the means by which our sustenance reaches us, because there's, there's, we live in a world of, uh, of modality. We live in a world where there are means by which things take place. This is Darul Asbab. This is the world, this is the abode of means. Allah is not in need of it. But Allah has created it such that we, everything reaches us through means. But the most important means by which our sustenance reaches us, and by which our sustenance may reach us, is by trusting in Allah. And this will be explained further on down the line. But one of the proofs that the Imam uses to explain this point is look at the animals. You don't see the animals wake up, set an alarm clock, and then you know, take a shower and go to work. Animals don't do that. What do animals do? They wake out in the search of the sustenance of Allah and they come back with the sustenance in their bellies. So this is a hadith that highlights this point above all else. But more in particular, more in particular than this tatawakkul, that, that reliance upon Allah, it is that reliance upon Allah which is correlated to having the God consciousness of Allah, the taqwa of Allah, the mindfulness of Allah. Why? Because Allah says in the Quran, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا وَيَرَزُقْهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ That whoever has this quality of taqwa, Whoever has the fear of Allah, whoever has the mindfulness of Allah, whoever goes through life upholding the command of Allah, Allah will make and facilitate for him a way. Whatever situation he's in, Allah will facilitate for him, or Allah will facilitate for her a way out of their situation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will sustain them. Allah will provide them from where they could not even figure it out, from where they couldn't even imagine, from where they could not calculate. And whoever puts their trust in Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice them. So if Allah is saying this, that whoever puts their trust in Allah, Allah will suffice them, then there's no doubt that this is also a means by which Allah sustains us. So this hadith is, this is the key point that we notice first and foremost. The importance of tawakkul. The importance of trust. But we also notice something. That the Prophet ﷺ is reminding the people, not just trust in Allah, but in encouraging towards a higher level of trust in Allah. And this shows then that the people, the level of trust that the people have in Allah, it will vary amongst the people. And there is a stage and there is a level of trust or a person can reach that they will be sustained just like Allah sustains the birds and animals. And we'll get to that in a moment. But we have to understand that in accordance, many of the pious predecessors, they would highlight this point, in accordance with the level of connection we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our hearts, the amount of trust we have of Allah in our hearts, the amount we know within our hearts, and we have that level of 
understanding and trust and reliance in upon, upon Allah, in accordance with that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for us without us having to even turn to Him in any other way. Meaning the more we put our trust in Allah, the more will Allah will provide for us in that manner. Look, Allah provides for everybody. Allah provides for those people that don't even believe in Him. Allah provides even for those people that don't believe in Him. There are atheists that eat three meals a day, sometimes seven meals a day. Right? There's people that Allah provides that actually are in opposition to Him. That not only don't believe in Him, they're in battle with Him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still provides for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He's providing for people like that in that manner, why is it not such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course it is such. But we should ask ourselves this question. If Allah is providing for them, why will Allah not, not provide for me? So understand, and understanding this point, that the more we are able to have this connection with Allah within our hearts, and we're able to have this beautiful opinion of Allah, this excellent opinion of Allah within our hearts, in accordance to that, Allah will enable us to be able to hand over more of our affairs to Him. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will begin to suffice for us in ways that we cannot even imagine. Allah says in the Quran, وَيَرَزُقْهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ That Allah will provide for them from where they can't even imagine, where they cannot even fathom. How do you reach that stage? Is by increasing in our level of trust in Allah. Okay, so what is then this reality of this trust? He explains, وَحَقِيقَةُ التَّوَكُّلُ هُوَ صِدْقُ اِعْتِمَادِ الْقَلْبِ عَلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فِي اسْتِجْلَابِ الْمَصَالِحِ وَدَفْعِ الْمَضَارِ مِنْ أُمُورِ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ كُلِّهَا What is the reality of this trust in Allah? It is that the truthfulness of that reliance within our hearts upon Allah the mighty and majestic that He will procure for us, He will facilitate for us all the things that we need to take care of the affairs of our life. And He will avert from us all those things that will be detri uh, detriment to us in the matters of our dunya and the matters of, the, of our hereafter. All of it Allah will suffice us for. This is what that trust is referring to. It is having that true conviction. Brothers and sisters, every Muslim has this on some level. The moment we say Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, we bear witness to our belief to, to Allah being our, our 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 Lord and our Creator and our one and true only God. From the moment we make that testification, everyone has come on some level upon this level of trust. But there are those people that then elevate their level of trust, and the truer that trust becomes in our hearts, the more beautiful and the more excellent that trust becomes in our hearts the more we will be able to hand over our affairs to Him, and the more we will be able to feel reassured in all the affairs of this life and the next. I'll give an example. When a person, I'll give a, you know, maybe a contemporary example. You have a person that in the middle of this coronavirus, there's a lot going on, Right? And I just, <laughs> I just saw this the other day. You have a person that's on a Zoom call at home and they're wearing a mask. Uh, whatever, maybe there's a reason for it. But you have people that literally, they'll be at home and they'll be terrified coronavirus is going to get me. 
They're, they're vaccinated. They're cut off from the people. Forget about six feet. They're like 600 yards away from the next person. And, st- and still, the terror is still there. Why is the terror still there? At some point, that person is still fearful that maybe something can happen to me. Maybe something can happen to me. Maybe something can happen to me. Despite taking all the precautions, all the procedures, all these things, maybe something, why? Where is that fear coming from? Is his not knowing that maybe something can harm, if that person had that reassurance, brothers, and we'll get to this point in a moment, brothers and sisters, that this is not advocating that don't take advantage of certain means. We'll get to that. Ibn Rajab explains that very beautifully. But it's explaining that sometimes, despite taking the means, people are so petrified, people are still terrified. A person never did, a person didn't do anything wrong. A person didn't do anything wrong, but they're terrified for going for Hajj. Why? Because if I go for Hajj, I'm going to come back, and the people in the airport are going to ask me, why did you go to Mecca? People are going for Hajj all the time. What's, what's, what's the big deal? No, but what, what if? What if? What if I end up on a watch list? I know, I remember there was a brother that told me that he, this is a person that is extremely wealthy. Extremely wealthy. But he told me, make the law for me that I can go for Hajj. I'm like, why don't you just go for Hajj? What's holding you back? I'll make dua for you, but what's holding you back? He said, I'm afraid of flying. I don't know what's going to happen to me at the airport if I fly. I mean, something might happen to me. My family depends on me. I'm like, what did you do? Like, are you like laundering money for some like, drug cartel? Uh, like, what, what, like, what are you so afraid of? Like, you're not doing anything illegal. You're not doing anything wrong. Why are you so petrified that if you go for Hajj, something's going to happen to you? You have the means. And it's, it was a safe... Okay, granted, it's not happening now. Borders are shut down. This is pre-coronavirus. And he recognized it. He realized it. Despite all the means and facilitation being there, despite everything being there, sometimes we're terrified of moving forward. This is what it's referring to. The more we're able to have that... Because every Muslim, ultimately, on some level, they believe this. They'll say it on their tongue. But the truth of tawakkul is what's in the heart. And the truer that tawakkul becomes within the heart, the truer that reliance becomes in the heart, that yes, Allah will procure for me, Allah will facilitate for me whatever I need. And Allah will keep away from me whatever is going to be a detriment to me, be it in this life or the next. This is the true reality of, of, of tawakkul. And the stronger that affirmation is in the heart, the stronger that tawakkul becomes, the stronger that reliance becomes. Now, he clarifies that this point where we just touched on earlier. This is not now arguing that, you know what? Have complete trust in Allah and stop, stop making effort. Don't make any effort whatsoever. That's not what the argument is. Nor is the explanation of that. And he explains, how can this not be the explanation of this? That Allah is not calling upon us to abandon the means. He says, if Allah was telling us to trust in Him by abandoning the means, then why did Allah tell us in numerous places in the Qur'an to utilize certain means? Allah says in the Qur'an certain times, utilize certain means. That demonstrates and that proves that when Allah is talking to us about, Allah is telling us about trusting in Him, Allah is not saying trust in Him and abandon all means. No, Allah created a system, Allah expects us and wants from us that we should operate within that system. Allah for example says in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا خُذُوا حِذْرَكُمْ O you who believe, take to your precautions. Take to your fortifications. Take to your defenses. Allah is telling the believers, take advantage of certain means to defend yourself. Take advantage of certain means to have protections for yourself. Allah says in the Quran, regarding the, the pursuit of 
you know, uh, material sustenance. Once you've completed the Jumu'ah prayer, spread forth in the land and seek the sustenance of Allah. Seek the bounty of Allah. Allah actually says, seek it. So we understand that this trust is not saying that abandon the means of seeking the bounty of Allah. And if you want to look further, look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ himself. It was from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he would take advantage of certain means. There would be certain things that he would facilitate. There would be certain things that he would manage. There would be certain things that he would do that were, he would consult with the companions. He would take advantage of certain plans. He would take advantage of certain you know, uh, 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 procedures. The Prophet himself would do this. So if the Prophet would do this, how can the Prophet do something that is contrary to what Allah wants of him? It's not possible. Rather, the Prophet was showing us that this is the true means of, of trusting in Allah. One of the, the salaf, they mentioned very beautifully, what is the reality of, of, of trusting in Allah? It is that you trust more what is in the hands of Allah than you trust what is within your own hands. The truth and reality of trusting in Allah is not that you just tie your hands behind your back. The truth of trusting in Allah is not that you tie your hands behind your back. It is that Yes, you use your hands to earn, you use your hands to do, but you have more trust in Allah being the one that will provide than you have in what you're doing with your own hands. I remember with my own eyes, I saw a very beautiful example in this in one of my teachers, uh, Mufti Atikur Rahman, uh, Hafidhullah. He mentioned a very, I saw this with my own eyes, he was in a situation once that required extensive planning. And I had never seen anyone plan for something like I saw him plan and prepare. Without exaggerating, for three, four months, maybe more, I don't remember exactly. This is like almost like now, uh, ten years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago. But I remember like for several months, and it's happening right now, I see how much planning, how precise his every step is. Very like intricate planning. And he's doing this for months on end. And then I remember he, the, the, one day, at the end of these several months, he had a phone call. And after his phone call ended, I saw him in his, he sat down in his chair and he just relaxed. He's like, Alhamdulillah. He's like, Alhamdulillah, I did everything in my ability that I could do. Now I can trust in Allah, it's in Allah's hands. Whatever happens by Allah's will, I'm happy with it. He said, up until then, I was doing the sunnah. That whatever you have of the means that you can take advantage of, take advantage of it, do what you can. Now there's nothing else I can do. It's not in my control anymore. At this point, it's no longer in my control. Brothers and sisters, this is the key aspect. When we come to the realization, it's no longer in my control, hand it over to Allah. Hand it over to Allah. This is now trusting in Allah. That once I've come to the stage, because what do we usually do? We've done everything we can, and then we start now. Now we start our worrying. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Even though we have no control over it. We start getting angry, we get getting upset, even though we have no control over it. We have no ability to change anything, and yet we're frustrated, we're annoyed, we're sad, we're mad, we're glad, we're all these different adjectives you can use. We're going through all, these, all this roller coaster, even though there's nothing left for us to be able to do. Allah says in the Quran, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَقَّلَ عَلَى اللَّهِ Once you've come to a resolution, hand it over to Allah. Trust in Allah. 
You're trying to make a decision. You're trying to come to a conclusion. You've reached a decision. You've reached a conclusion. You've come to a, 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 a outcome that you're going to pursue. Now trust in Allah and hand over. Resignate your affairs to Allah. Because now everything is in Allah's control and none of it's in your control. But this is now where usually shaitan comes at us. What if, what if, what if? If only, if only. Why did it go like this? Why did it go like that? No. Trusting in Allah means you realize whatever is happening from now on is completely in the hands of Allah. I'll give an example. This happened to a, you know, a person that I know. Right? That this person was pursuing marriage. And alhamdulillah, found a suitable sister. They, they, they agreed upon marriage. And they're just waiting for the date. Right? All the discussions happened, families talk to each other, uh, the, 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 the two are happy, they discussed, everything settled, marriage is going forward. Now they just need to figure out a date. A week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, about a month goes by. After about a month, the father of this individual comes to him and tells him, look, I have something I have to tell you. And I've been working up the courage for the last few weeks I've been working up the courage for the last few weeks that how am I going to break this news to you? We got a call from the girl's family. She doesn't want to get married no more. Right? She's, she, you know what? It's not going to happen. She doesn't want to get married no more. And you know, it just, we're just going to have, you're, just, you're just going to have to let it go. So this person's response was, I felt nothing but a sigh of relief. Why? Because that person made istikhara. And in the istikhara it says, Oh Allah, if this matter of me marrying this individual is good for me, and my deen, my dunya, my akhirah is good for me, for my, 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 uh, for my, for my living, for my, for my hereafter, then oh Allah facilitate it for me. Allah, what does it say? إِنَّ هَذَا الْأَمْرُ خَيْرٌ لِي فِي دِينِي وَمَعَاشِ وَعَاقِبُ الْأَمْرِ If this matter is good for me, in my, for, my, for the sake of my deen, for the sake of my living, for the sake of my hereafter. Then facilitate it for me, and make it easy for me, and then bless me in it. And if you know that this matter is not good for me, it's evil for me, it's bad for me, for my deen, for my living, for my final, for my for my hereafter, for my final abode, Take it away from me and take me away from it. and facilitate for me what is truly good for me. Wherever it may be from, and then make me be happy with that. Once that person has made this du'a, that oh Allah, if it's good for me, let it happen, and if it's not good for me, take it away from me. He said, I, I felt nothing but a sigh of relief. Why? Because that was my istikhara coming true. That Allah knew it's not going to be good for me, so He took it away from me. When we're in a situation, brothers and sisters, we have to realize this. What does it mean that you trust in Allah? Not I trust in Allah, Allah is going to do what I tell Him to do. This is where we get it twisted. Not trusting Allah in Allah does not mean, I will tell Allah, Oh Allah, I'm going to do this, you make it happen now. Let's not get our relationship mixed up. Allah is not our slave and we are not the master. It's the other way around. We are the slave and Allah is the master. 
So our, our dealings with Allah, we have to realize what is going on. What does it mean to trust in Allah? Is now that I've come to a resolution, I hand this matter over to Allah. Whatever happens, I have trust that my Lord will do what is good for me. I have trust that my Lord wants the best for me. I have trust in my Lord that whatever outcome will come of this will be nothing but beneficial for me. This is now what it means that when we do deeds, we go through life. We have to do the, 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 the system that Allah has created, it demands of us that we do action. But understanding that when we do the actions, it's the outcome of those actions that we put our trust in Allah in. Continuing, Ibn Rajab explains that look, the things that we do in this life, you can categorize them into three categories. It comes into three general categories, three broad categories. The first category of those things that we must do has to do with the hereafter. What does that have to do with the hereafter? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to pray. Allah has commanded us to fast. Allah has commanded us to go for hajj. Allah has commanded us to eat halal. Allah has commanded us to stay away from intoxicants. Allah has commanded us to stay away from fornication. Allah has commanded us various things in life. And we have trust in Allah and we have hope in Allah. That we do all these things, but it's not my deeds that will get me into paradise, it's Allah's mercy. And we have trust, trust in Allah that if my dealings with Allah is good, Allah will have mercy upon me. And we don't delude ourselves into thinking that you know what, I trust Allah will forgive me of all my sins when I don't do anything for His sake. Because that's not truly trust. That's deception. So when we talk about doing and trusting, this shows us the relationship of doing and trusting. That if I do what Allah has commanded me to do, is it possible? Is it, of course it's possible. If Allah wills, Allah will forgive whoever He wants. We have that hope in Allah that Allah will be merciful. Allah will be forgiving. Rather, Allah is merciful and Allah is forgiving. And we have trust in Allah and hope in Allah that Allah will not... Because some people have this doubt. What if Allah is out to get me? This past week, I spoke to two people that were in this, this dilemma. What if Allah is out to get me? What if Allah wants to destroy me? I, did, I made this mistake. Allah doesn't want to destroy us. Allah wants us to succeed. Allah wants us to thrive. So if we make a mistake, if we mess up, all we have to do is turn back to Allah. Because Allah will allow us to come back to Him. Allah wants us to come back to Him. We trust Allah. When Allah says Allah is ghafoor rahim when Allah says He's forgiving and merciful, yes, we trust that Allah is forgiving and merciful, so we turn to Him seeking His forgiveness and seeking His mercy. But we also don't abandon doing those things that He's told us to do. And brothers and sisters, let's also realize one thing. Why do people lose trust in Allah's forgiveness and mercy? It's usually because we aren't doing our part of making Allah happy. If a person is always disobeying Allah, Allah always turning his back on the command of Allah, always running away from Allah, how is that person going to actually be able to build trust with Allah? Let's realize there's things that build our trust with Allah. There's things that build our trust with Allah. Just like things build our, when we build a relationship with our friends and family and loved ones, how do we build a relationship with them? How does a person become a friend? By constantly fighting with them? By constantly opposing them? No. When you're constantly in opposition with someone, you usually don't call that person your friend. When every word is, an, is a fight, every word is an, is an argument, every word is a denial, usually that person's an enemy, not a friend. 
So if we're acting with Allah in a way that's going to foster this ill will between us, or rather in our hearts, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always welcoming. But we're doing from our side those things that are destroying our trust in Allah, then of course the trust in Allah is going to disappear. And if we're not going to trust in Allah, do Allah forgive us? Then how is Allah forgiving? If Allah wants, Allah can forgive us nevertheless. But where is that trust going to come? The trust comes by turning to Him and obeying Him. So this is the first way we do deeds and then also trust in Allah. That we have hope in Allah that yes, I'm going to strive to the best of my abilities and do whatever I can. And if I make a mistake here, if I make a mistake there, I have hope in Allah, I have trust in Allah that yes, Allah is forgiving and merciful. Allah will forgive me, Allah will have mercy upon me, Allah will help me to obey Him. And I don't give up. So this is the first category. The second category now of those deeds that we do, is those everyday deeds that we do in the life based on the system that Allah has put place in the world. Brothers and sisters, we believe as Muslims that Allah is not dependent upon food to nourish our bodies. Allah is not dependent upon food to nourish our bodies. Allah nourishes our bodies by His power and His might. But yes, He uses food to nourish us. He's made a means by which we gain nourishment. Allah is not dependent upon medicine to cure us. But yes, there's a means by which we gain cure, and that's usually medicine. Allah is not dependent upon any of these things. Rather, Allah is the one that created them as means. The system that we live in, when we trust in Allah, yes, we still pick up the bottle, and we still put the water to our lips, and we still swallow, and we still drink. But we also believe that it's only Allah that will quench our thirst. We also believe that it's only Allah that will quench our thirst. Where is my proof for that? Today I was actually uh, uh, visiting some, some extended family, and I guess the food had a little bit of, it was mashallah, very good food, but maybe the food was something that makes you thirsty. And I was drinking like bottle after bottle after bottle of water. I went through I think five bottles of water in like less than two hours. And then I came home and I was still thirsty. My, this, is my, this is my personal argument from today. Right? Only Allah can quench your thirst. Right? You can fill your body with water, only Allah will quench your thirst. And rather the situation like people, food, only Allah puts, puts flavor in food. I was talking to a brother that recently went through COVID. Alhamdulillah, Allah cured him, Allah keep him safe and healthy. And he was telling me like it was an odd experience. I was chewing on pizza and it, and it felt like I was chewing on cardboard. I lost my taste. Allah put the taste in the food. Brothers and sisters, we understand that all these things Yes, there are means, but Allah is the one that put the, the effect in those means. Now if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, Allah can increase that effect and Allah can decrease that effect. If Allah wants, Allah can increase that effect and Allah can decrease that effect. And this is now where we see the trust of Allah playing an effect in what people do. The Prophet ﷺ, he described in one, in, in one situation the eating of a believer and the eating of a disbeliever. How does it vary? And it's paraphrasing here. But it was explained that a believer eats with like one stomach and a disbeliever eats with like seven stomachs. A believer can eat a little bit and it will fulfill his need. Why? Because he can trust in Allah and depend on Allah that Allah will sustain me. So Allah will put barakah in their food. How many people have faced this situation? I remember I was at my mom's house and this happens all the time at my mom's, especially at my mom's house. Right? That everyone eats, and everyone eats to their fill. And she looks in the pot, nobody ate anything. Everything's still here. 
Like, mom, it's not that nobody ate. Everyone ate to their fill. Allah put a lot of barakah in that food. It happens. I'm sure every, uh, people have experienced it. In the Muslim households, this happens. All the time. That everyone eats. It's like, wait, people barely ate. Or you buy food. I bought food for 10 people, but 30 people ate. There was barakah in the food. Allah puts barakah in the... Allah can increase and Allah can decrease. And other people, I bought so much food, n- nothing was left. One time a person came to eat with, the, the, with uh, some of the companions and the Prophet ﷺ was there. And all, all these people are eating from one plate and then someone comes, didn't say Bismillah and finished the whole thing in two bites. And people are like, what, what happened? Like seven people, five people, all these people are eating from one plate and the food's not finishing. And one person comes and it's all gone? Yeah, because that person didn't say Bismillah. There is a means by which we recognize and we acknowledge. There's a means by which we recognize and acknowledge that things take place in the dunya. But we also see these situations that are amazing. There are times for a Muslim to pay attention. People write it off, oh, it's a coincidence, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. No, no, no. Allah put barakah. And or Allah took away barakah. A person wins the lottery, makes millions of dollars, and then somehow or another still ends up destitute. Still loses all their money. What happened? No barakah in the money. People making literally millions of dollars end up being broke, end up being in debt. How can you make millions of dollars and be in debt? It boggles the mind really. No barakah. So there's means by which things are facilitated. Yes, we work with them and we deal with them in the normal fashion, but we also realize by trust in Allah, Allah can increase or decrease. Remember the original hadith we're discussing, that it's the bird that leaves in the morning with an empty stomach and comes home with a full stomach. A person is living a normal average life, but all his bills are paid. All his bills are paid. All the, 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 the family is, is having a comfortable life. And you have people that are making literally husband and wife, both earning six figures, both struggling to pay the bills. It's a matter of barakah. Those that trust in Allah, Allah will provide for them. Then there's a third category. So let's give an example of this. Because in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were ways that Allah will provide. The Prophet ﷺ was to do something called Sawmu Wisal. The Prophet would fast continuously for a few days straight. Like we, how do we fast? In the morning we eat suhoor, we fast for whatever, 12, 15, 16 hours, depending on the time of the year. And then we break our fast with some iftar. We eat at night, and then again the next day we fast. We eat at night, and then the next day we fast. How would the Prophet do the Sawmu Wisal? The Prophet would start his fast, the evening he would come, he wouldn't eat anything at night. The next day would come, he would fast, he wouldn't eat anything at night. The next day would come, he would fast, he wouldn't eat anything like at night. Three, four, multiple days would pass and the Prophet wouldn't eat any food. This is how he would fast, often. That several days continuously he would go before he would actually eat some food. The Sahaba tried to imitate the Prophet in doing this. He told them, don't imitate me in this. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides me in a way that He does not provide you. Allah is providing you with something that He doesn't provide you with. Yes, brothers and sisters, Allah can provide people in ways that other people are not provided. The Prophet, don't get me wrong, the Prophet did eat and the Prophet did drink. But the Prophet's eating a little bit after, before three days and a little bit after three days, that was sufficient for him. So the food that we eat, the means that Allah has given us, Allah can increase that or Allah can decrease that. 
Likewise, if Allah so chooses, Allah can give that to whomever He wills. But brothers and sisters, and we'll speak about this more shortly. Know where Allah has put you. And know in what situation Allah has made you in. Don't bite off more than you can chew. And we'll come back to this point, inshallah, momentarily. Then there's a third category of those deeds that we do in life. And those are those things that we've seen observationally is the way society operates. Very simple example. People go to work, people go to their shop, people go to their business, they earn money and they come home and they bring home the bread. We've seen that this is the general way by which society life works. That people go, they earn, they come back, and they eat. Or people get sick, they go to the doctor, they go to the hospital, they get treated, and they get cured. There's a general system by which we see things operate. And yes, we go through these, all these motions, but we also realize it's Allah is the one who's sustaining, it's Allah is the one who's providing. We go through all these situations, but the truth is it is Allah who provides and it is Allah who sustains. Simple example, a business owner. A business owner is running their shop. You open the doors, customers come in, they buy what they buy and they leave. You have no control over how much they buy, you have no control over when they will come in. Yes, you can try to do all your salesmanship in the world, but you have to realize it's Allah who's bringing them into the store. And it's Allah the one that is the one that's filling the register. Similarly, a person goes to the doctor, a person goes for treatment, and yes, the doctors are coming, the nurses are coming, they're giving medicine, they're doing their treatment. But sometimes people will come home healthy and sometimes people get more sick. It's Allah that's providing the cure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this system, but ultimately it is Allah who decides the outcome. You're going to work and you're working hard, it's a job, or you don't have a business. You're working hard, all of a sudden the company suffers profits. Half the staff is going to get laid off. Allah controls all these things, brothers and sisters. You can have a recession and people will be making money. And you can have a boom and people will be losing money. It's all in the control of Allah. So these are the three aspects in which we work in life. In each aspect, there's an element of trusting in Allah. And how we trust in Allah will, dip, will vary in each of these aspects. We already mentioned how we trust in Allah when it comes to the commands of Allah with regards to our deen. That we trust in Allah, that we do our part and we have hope that whatever Allah has promised us, Allah will give us. Rather, we have conviction, whatever Allah has promised us, Allah will definitely give us. We have conviction, if we make tawbah to Him, He will forgive us. We have conviction, if we do salat to Him, He promised us whatever He promised and He will provide it for us. Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ if I do my salat correctly, without doubt, Allah will give me this. The salat words away. Allah, salat prohibits every obscenity and evil act. If I do my salat correctly, then yes, it will purify me of every obscenity and evil act. Fasting was prescribed upon you like those before you so that you can attain taqwa. If I properly fast, a pure, proper fast, I will be able to build my taqwa. All these things that Allah has promised us, that you do this and this will happen, we trust in Allah, in the promise of Allah. And we don't delude ourselves that when Allah said certain things, the opposite is going to take place. Even if Allah, though we know very well that if Allah wills, Allah can make the opposite happen. Allah is well within His right to do so. But we have that trust in Allah that Allah's promise is true. 
The second category regarding those day-to-day things, the eating of food to, 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 to nourish our bodies, to satiate our stomachs, the drinking of water to quench our thirst. All these things that we do on a day-to-day basis, going to sleep to, to, to ward away fatigue, these day-to-day things, we see them, we recognize them, but we also realize that Allah is not dependent upon any of them. That Allah can provide for us just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided for the family of Ibrahim when he left them in a barren valley. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim leave your valley in this barren, leave your family in this barren valley, your newborn son and your wife. Leave them in this barren valley with no trees, no water, no nothing. What was their reaction? If Allah commanded this, then Allah will not allow us to be wasted. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not dependent upon there being anything Allah can still provide and Allah can still sustain. But brothers and sisters, let's also realize that for us to trust in Allah on that level, our level of iman needs to be like on the level of iman of those people. For us to trust Allah on that level, our level of iman needs to be on that level. Remember what we said in the beginning, our trust in Allah will increase and our trust in Allah may decrease. Our goal is to build our trust because the more you can trust in Allah, the more you can hand over your affairs to Allah. But if, you don't, if we lack that trust, then we're not in that situation where we can hand things over to Him. It amazes me some of the people, the level to which they have this quality of what's called tafweed. Tafweed is being able to resonate your affairs to Allah. Some people, I see that tafweed and it boggles my mind. Every single period of my intellect is like, you're, this makes no sense. But Allah, sure enough, sure, true enough and sure enough, He provides for them as He deems fit. The people that have that trust, Allah, just like the bird. The bird wakes up and just goes, and the bird knows it's going to come back full stomach. And it's not just the bird, it's every animal. The bird was just one animal the Prophet mentioned, it's every animal. It's all of Allah's creation. Can Allah provide like this? We have no doubt, no question Allah can provide like this. It's mentioned about Ali radiallahu an. That on the coldest, coldest night, he didn't need to wear any warm clothes. And on the hottest, hottest day, he didn't need to cool down. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him that Allah removed from him this being affected by hot and cold. Ibn Rajab mentions this as a narration of Imam, of, of, of Imam Ahmad and Ibn Majah. And Imam Haythami has declared this to be a, a Hassan hadith. The, uh, the Prophet made dua for Ali to take away from him hot and cold so he wouldn't feel hot and cold. He didn't need the warmth. Can Allah do that for people? Of course Allah can do that for people if Allah wills. But we also realize it will be in proportion to their level of iman and tawakkul upon Allah. In proportion to their faith and their trust in Allah. Don't trust in Allah by trying to test Him. There's a difference between trying to test Allah and trying to t- and trust Allah. There's a story that was mentioned about one of the pious that a person saw that this person doesn't have any means of livelihood. And this person doesn't have any, like, he doesn't come from wealth. So a student asks him that, like, man, I see, like, you don't, you don't earn a living. You're not like the, like the son of kings. You're not a wealthy person. Where do you, how do you get, you know, survive? He said, whenever I have a need from Allah, I lift up my sajada, I lift up my dynamas, I lift up my prayer rug. And when I look underneath it, there's like a bag of coins, gold coins there. Every time I lift up my prayer rug, there's, there's money there for me. So I just take that money and I, I use it on myself. The student was like, wow, I got to try this out. So he goes home 
He starts sitting on his, on, on his, on his prayer rug and he's making dua to Allah, making dua to Allah, and he looks and there's nothing there. And he's making dua to Allah, dua to Allah, and he looks and there's nothing there. And he tries this a bunch of times and nothing happens. So the next day he goes back to his shaykh, like, Shaykh, I don't know what happened. Like, I, I did what you told me. But when I checked, there was nothing there. He says, it's because when I do it, I do it knowing and trusting that Allah will put something there for me. And when you did it, you were doing it to see and testing Allah, will Allah do it for me? Brothers and sisters, we have to have that level of trust in us to be able to receive it like that as well. A lot of people, the moment we hear about these miraculous stories of Ibrahim salam, the miraculous stories of the Prophet salam, the miraculous stories of the pious predecessors, we get skeptical. How is that possible? Yeah, we get skeptical because we're dealing with Allah based on our notion of Allah. They dealt with Allah based on their notion of Allah. Why is it difficult to think that Allah can create sustenance for a person without means? Allah created the universe without means. What's harder to create? The entire universe, the earth, the star, the suns? Without any means, or a couple of gold coins, or a couple of dollars in your bank account. But brothers and sisters, let's also realize, don't pretend to be, you can't fake that. You either have it or you don't. One of the mashayikh, the mashayikh of our mashayikh, Allah Maqasib Nanotwi rahimahullah ta'ala, he wrote to his teacher, his shaykh, Hajim Dallah Muhajjar Makki, and he asked him, Shaykh, you know what, I feel I should just leave my taking a salary from my job, and I should just completely trust in Allah. What do you think about that? I feel like I, I have that conviction, I'm ready. I want to leave taking a salary for my job. I want to leave it completely and completely trust in Allah. What do you think about that? And this was a person of immense taqwa. So what did the Shaykh write back to him? He said, if you had that level of, if you really had that level of tawakkul, if you really had that level of trust in Allah, you wouldn't have had to ask me. If you really had that level of trust in Allah, why are you asking me? You already know you have it. You don't have it. The truth is, brothers and sisters, this is not, these things are not being mentioned to tell us that you know what, now leave your jobs, leave, your, leave their means. No. This is telling us, this is the level of trust a person can reach. The Prophet is not telling this to the Sahaba, telling them that you know what, everyone stop going to your jobs, stop going to your businesses, stop going to your farms. The Prophet did not command the people to do that. He's highlighting to the people, letting them realize that this is where your tawakkul can take you. This is where your trust can take you. If you reach the level of trust, then yes, Allah will provide you in that way. And this brings us to the second point that we were talking about, about sustenance. The one way we work in the world is that our earning to, you know, our seeking out a livelihood, our seeking out treatment, our seeking out things of the dunya to acquire them. Yes, Allah can provide that for us as well without any means. But similarly to this point comes that point that that only happens to those people that have that level of trust in Allah. And this is not something, brothers and sisters, where we go and we start testing Allah in. Another example now. Ibn Abbas What happens? Some people think that what happens when people don't realize where they're really at? Because sometimes people use this as a heel. People use this as an excuse. That you know what? I'm going to abandon all means and I'm going to trust entirely upon Allah. And then he'll go to his friends like, Habibi, can you like, you know, hook me up with a burger? Like, you know, you know can I borrow like $10 from you? That man, you know, it would be wonderful if someone can pay my rent this month. That's not trust, brothers. That's trusting in the creation of Allah to bail you out. 
It happened in the time of Ibn Abbas That a group from Yemen They said that you know what We're going to come for Hajj And we're not going to take anything We're going to completely trust in Allah We're not going to take any provisions So when they came to Mecca They started going around begging from people That we came trusting in Allah We were here Please now give us so Allah revealed the verse, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ زَادَ التَّقْوَى That make, take provisions when you go for hajj. And the, the best of provisions is the taqwa you come with. That the point of, of trusting in Allah is not that you go and you beg people. That's not trusting in Allah. That's begging people. That's trusting in the creation of Allah. Trusting in Allah is you literally abandon everything. And you know that Allah will give you and you don't need to ask creation, you only need to ask Allah. If you resort to asking creation, this is not trust. So those people, I'm going to have to maybe move forward because Isha is getting close. Those people, their level of trust in Allah was such that they knew that whatever Allah gives me, I am happy and I am pleased with that because that came to me from Allah. And whatever Allah withholds from me, I'm happy and I'm pleased with that as well because that's also from the decision of Allah. I'll try to wrap it up There's much more to be said Inshallah But we'll try to wrap it up Because we have a few more minutes Before Isha Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal mentions That it was mentioned That once he was asked About tawakkul About trusting in Allah And he clarified A very important point What we're just speaking about Right now That the reality Of trusting in Allah Is that you completely Lose all thought Of presenting your need In front of any of the creation Of Allah and you only present your need in front of Allah. That you don't ask anyone but Allah for your need. Just like Ibrahim salam, When Jibreel salam came to him, Ibrahim salam was on the catapult about to be so, thrown headfirst into the fire. Jibreel salam came to him asking him if he needs help. Who came? Jibreel. The head of the malaika, the head of the angels. He came asking, do you need help? What was Ibrahim salam's response? Allah is sufficient for me. Not Jibreel, yes, help me out. Don't you see I'm tied up, about to be thrown into a fire? No. Even when the angels, even when help was coming from the unseen, no, Allah is sufficient for me. Allah will take care of me. This is the, the way we see. What does it mean when people reach that level? Brothers and sisters, we're not saying that we're on that level. We're not saying try to test out if you're at that level. Ibrahim knows what level he's at. These people knew what level they were at and they were able to do it in that way. For us, we're trying to build ourselves up to that level. We're trying to build ourselves up to a higher level. If we can't reach that level, we at least want to reach a higher level. That we reach a level that we can trust in Him a little bit more. Going back to the examples we spoke about before. That when we do certain things, we don't begin to doubt what if, what if, what if. The Prophet ﷺ, he explained in a hadith. And this hadith inshallah will summarize everything for us. Because remember, just like the verses of the Qur'an, one explains the other, the hadith of the Prophet, one explains the other as well. That Al-Mu'min Al-Qawi Khayrun Murahabu Allah Min Al-Mu'min Al-Da'if Wa Fi Kullin Khayr Ibn Rajab explains this hadith first before he even starts And he explains that look If you're going to be that person that says that You know what I'm going to trust in Allah I'm going to stop eating food I'm only going to eat food once a day And you know what I'm going to trust in Allah And I'm only going to sleep two hours a night And you know what I'm going to trust in Allah And it's going to be enough for me That'll be fine And you start wasting away Where your body begins to diminish And there's nothing left 
and your mind begins to fray and there's nothing left. You're destroying yourself thinking that, you know what, Allah will give me barakah. Realize you're not on that level. Because now you're starting to harm yourself. You're starting to weaken yourself. And when you become weak, you're failing to fulfill your obligation to Allah. Because eventually you'll become so weak, you won't be able to stand for salat. Eventually you become so weak that you won't be able to read your Quran. Eventually your mind will become so debilitated, you won't be able to study ilm. You won't be able to do the dhikr of Allah. So he's explaining that, look, the Prophet said, the strong believer is more beloved to Allah than the weak believer. So let us not weaken ourselves by faking trust. Have true trust in Allah. And all of them is good. Be eager for that which benefits you and seek Allah's assistance and do not become hopeless and incapable. And if anything comes to you and reaches you that afflicts you, then do not say, if only I had done such and such, if only I had done such and such. Rather say, this was the decree of Allah. Allah. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم المؤمن القوي خير وأحب إلى الله من الضعيف وفي كل خير احرص على ما ينفعك واستعن بالله ولا تعجز فإن أصابك شيء فلا تقولن لو أن فعلت كذا وكذا ولكن قل قدر الله ما شاء فعله فإن اللو تفته عمل الشيطان خرجه المسلم وابن حبان <coughs> it's narrated on the authority of Abu Hurairah that the Prophet mentioned that the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the weak believer. And in each is good. Be, be greedy or be keen upon that which benefits you and seek the assistance of Allah and do not become incapacitated. And if anything should afflict you, then do not start saying, if only I had done such and such, if only I had done such and such. Rather say, it was by the decree of Allah, and whatever He willed occurred. Whatever He willed, He did. Because saying, what if, it opens the doors of shaitan. Or the doors of shaitan are open through it. For those brothers and sisters that joined us in the hadith prior to uh, Isha, Inshallah, this will be a combination and explanation of how Ibn Rajab Hanbali, he actually explains the entire discussion on trusting in Allah. And we were talking about the hadith of what does it really mean to trust in Allah. And he clarified this point that this hadith is actually for the lay person, for the average person. For most people, if we want to understand what it means to trust in Allah, is look at this hadith. Because the trust of Allah should not lead a person to fall into a situation that they actually debilitate themselves. They become weak and become frail. That's not trusting in Allah. Because some people think, I'm not going to eat food, I'm not going to sleep, I'm not going to you know, uh, take care of myself until they completely wither away. But no, the strong believer is more beloved to Allah and, more, and better than the weak believer. Right? So he explains that trusting in Allah cannot mean that you cut away for yourself from all the things of the dunya and you become a frail, small, shriveled away person. No, rather being a strong person. And he explains that also, now what is the, the, the true reality? Is that you seek assistance in Allah. You seek what is beneficial and you seek assistance in Allah. And you do not become incapacitated in what you do. And this is the key point now. Then when something happens to you, the true reality of trusting in Allah is, you do what you must do. And you seek Allah's assistance. 
You do what you are to do, you do what is beneficial, you do what is right, that which will assist us and assist others. But you seek assistance in Allah. And if something should happen to you that afflicts you in the midst of all of this, for example, a person makes a plan to do something of goodness, and it doesn't work out quite the way they thought, like the battle of Uhud. Right? The battle of Uhud, it didn't exactly work out the way the Sahaba initially thought it was going to work out. At that moment, don't fall into the pitfall of saying, if only we did this and if only we did that. Because when a person begins to say, if only we did this and we only did that, what did you do? You've lost trust in Allah. Because that outcome that came, that outcome that reached us after we did what we wanted to do and what we needed to do, that outcome came to us from Allah. And we have to realize that if we did it with sincerity, if we did it with proper intention, if we did it with proper means, then the outcome that came out of it, be it good in our eyes or be it bad in our eyes, it came to us from Allah, it's definitely good in the ultimate outcome. So that's why the Prophet said, what do you say instead? قَدَّرَ اللَّهُ وَمَا شَاءَ That this is exactly what Allah decreed. And what He wills is exactly what happened, what He did. Brothers and sisters, this is the true reality of tawakkul. Is that what we do, we do. And we do try to do it in the best of ways. And we try to do it seeking Allah's help and seeking Allah's assistance. But at the end of it, at the culmination of it, at the, at the conclusion of it, whatever outcome comes, it's out of our control. It's recognizing and realizing that outcome is what was in Allah's hands. And as one of the salaf said it most beautifully, trusting in Allah is trusting more in what is in Allah's hands than trusting what is in your hands. So we did what we did, but Allah decided to do something different. Or we did what we did, and Allah brought an outcome that we couldn't have seen coming. That is now accepting that and being pleased with that. That is the true reality of trusting in Allah. And this is why some of the Salaf has explained, the true reality of trusting in Allah is number one, you don't complain about Allah. Why did Allah do this? Why did, Allah, why did this, not complain about Allah, but you don't complain. Why, this, did, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Number one. Number two, you be actually pleased with what Allah brings upon us. That not only am I not going to complain about it, I realize and I recognize this is what Allah chose for me, I'm happy with it, I'm pleased with it. And then number three, recognizing that this is actually the best and most, most optimal outcome that could have come about. And that is now the recognition of Allah. So true tawakkul is going through these stages. That number one, we don't complain. Number two, we be pleased. And number three, we recognize that whatever Allah does, it is most definitely the best outcome. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the true reality of this understanding of trusting in Allah and grant us that trust of Allah. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya rahman wa rahimina wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.